Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. 3,122 amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. Dozens more at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, where for as little as a $1 subscription, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. And 5,600 plus on TikTok at Notorious Banker. Guys, thank you so very much for your support. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for the support the last couple of weeks. As I've mentioned, I've had to deal with some issues outside of my um, work norm here. So I really do appreciate your um, patience as I go off and online and you know a little bit more often than normal now um i'm trying to get to all the tweets in three huge chunks typically i'm on twitter throughout the day but the last couple of weeks has been kind of difficult i really do appreciate your patience for that um so a lot going on in the world um you know earnings reports are in for the big banks this week and I, I don't want to do podcasts about those because they're just so boring because we already know what the success stories are going to be with big banks. They're going to say, hey, record earnings, they beat expectations because the pandemic was supposed to keep the economy down. When in reality, um, no, the the reality is the big banks became stronger because of you know lessening the amount of branches and, and the fact of the matter is deposits grew because of stimuluses particularly for those that are richer and of course businesses such as Amazon and a lot of companies who deal with food delivery um, online purchases and whatnot grew during the pandemic because people actually started using them a hell of a lot more and of course you know the coffers are going to be that much bigger inside of big banks because of all these high-end customers. A little customers don't mean a damn thing. You know, people can be unemployed and still uh, the banks are going to thrive. And it looks like that they're thriving uh, very much so. Um, JP Morgan Chase, holy shit, $14.3 billion quarterly earnings. Um, that's astounding. Wells Fargo, $4.74 billion quarterly earnings for quarter one. Um you know, last year, J.P. Morgan had almost a $3 billion um, net income earning on Q1. And, of course, that was during the onset of the pandemic. And now $14 billion. Um, J.P. Morgan Chase is aiming to be a 40 to $50 billion net income uh, bank this year. And that's just amazing. It's astounding. And, you know, it's, it's releasing money that they set aside for, you know, loan defaults and all this nerdy shit that you really don't care about and I don't really necessarily care about because I deal with the little guy. I deal with the person who doesn't have business lines of credit or whatever. Um, you know, home loans, yeah, you may have, but, you know, these big banks that were setting aside money, they were taking the losses knowing that eventually things will be a little bit better and now here they are and they're much better. And combined, J.P. Morgan and Wells um, earned about $19 billion in Q1 with Bank of America to come um, the day after I recorded this podcast, which is going to be Thursday the 15th. And Bank of America expect them to earn somewhere between 7 and $10 billion in net income for Q1. Don't have the exact numbers of the guesstimate because I haven't really cared that much, but holy crap, they're back and they're stronger than era, uh, ever. Uh, Wells Fargo's stock is at a 13-month high. Of course, um, March of last year was when it was at its highest in the last 13 months, and then the pandemic happened, and then it all went to shit temporarily. It's astounding stuff, and um, of course, we did a podcast a couple of times about Wells Fargo, and they're struggling, and the fact of the matter is speculation is running rampant that they're going to cut 20% of the workforce, close hundreds of branches, call centers, and whatnot, and they're still going to do that because once they figure out how to efficiently 
um, do business, guess what? They're going to cut corners. They're going to make J.P. Morgan Chase levels of profit soon enough. I can't say enough. Um, I don't want to say praise. Praise is the wrong word because we know where it's coming from. For CEO Charlie Scharf, um, he said that he was going to bring Wells Fargo back. And it looks like he's doing just that. And, of course, Jamie Dimon and Chase is doing his thing as well. Um, earning money, of course, is the American way. It's the American dream. However, there's a lot of American dreams that are um, thwarted because of big banks. And that's what this podcast is about. I'm not going to hate on the banks for making money. I'm going to hate the methods that they use um, to add to those profits a little bit. So congratulations to Chase and Wells Fargo for their earnings reports. I'm sure B of A is going to be just the same. Um, but keep in perspective the last year and keep in perspective all these people who get um, fraud claims denied and the unemployment issues that people have, which is going to be um, a topic of today's podcast. And understand that um, they need to do a little bit more. And it's not, you know, talking about buying Girl Scout cookies. It's not going to be, um, you know, they were they were showing some donations of feminine hygiene products, uh, Bank of America was, on Twitter. And I'll get to that in just a second in another segment here. But um, charity is important, don't get me wrong. Uh, giving back to the communities is important. But when you make $20 billion between two banks, including one bank that's supposedly struggling, uh, they definitely can do more for the community. And what that is, I don't know. All I know is, holy crap, that's a lot of money. I want to talk about a few things today in this little podcast here. Um, we are going to talk about the death of Bernard Madoff. Bernie Madoff died this morning, and I want to just have a little narrative about what he did and how he impacted people and basically, you know, it was kind of the seeds that were planted for what I do now, you know, for this project here. I want to just get into that because, of course, he built people out of billions of dollars to fund his lavish lifestyle. And eventually I caught up to him in 2008 and he spent the rest of his life in prison dying today. So we'll get to that in just a second. Second, I also want to share a personal story. Um, unemployment madness. I have qualified for unemployment I have a balance um, in my unemployment coffers here. I want to get it approved. That way I am able to earn money, to get some money, to continue to fund the Notorious Banker Project as I continue to pursue dominance. Um, I'm going to get, the, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the hurdles that I went through. And, you know, I've talked about the hurdles that people in California and other states have went through too. I've gone through a lot of hurdles recently and Wells Fargo does um, run the unemployment stuff here in New Mexico. So I want to just talk about some of the things that I see with unemployment that mimic the bad service in big banks. And then I want to talk about Bank of America's donation frenzy and how ridiculous it is. Um, well, giving back to the community is important. I'm really, really glad that they do. I think some of the ways that they're hyping up just the most minimal of donations tells me that they need to work a little bit harder to give back to the community. And I'm going to talk about tampons and I'm going to talk about Girl Scout cookies. It's a weird twofer, but um, they seem to be talking about it a lot. So why don't we talk about it as well? So after this brief promotional consideration, I'll be right back with some more. So please stick around. All right, we're back with more Notorious Banker. So Bernard Madoff died today. And of course, if you don't know who Bernard or Bernie Madoff is, um, he was a market maker. He was a financier, an investment advisor. He was well known. He was the chairman of NASDAQ. Surely you've heard of NASDAQ. You know, he was the head of everything Wall Street. Think about it. You know, you know, 15 years ago, 
you go to Wall Street and there's just some names that are like Jordan and LeBron and Tiger. In the finance world, Bernie Madoff was one of them because he was a wizard, you know, making billions of dollars, heading the NASDAQ, um, helping people, you know, reach their financial goals the way big banks talk about. You know, he founded a penny stock brokerage, according to Wikipedia in 1960, which grew into Bernie Madoff Investment Securities. And he was killing it until December 11, 2008, when he got arrested. And he got arrested for running a Ponzi scheme. And a lot of people don't even know what a Ponzi scheme is. Well, Wikipedia deform, you know, defines a Ponzi scheme as a form of fraud that lures investors and pays profits to earlier investors with funds for more recent investors. That means eventually the buck stops somewhere. Eventually someone's going to get screwed out of money. In 2008, when the stock market tanked and the world was kind of freaking out, I remember working for a bank at that time, Lehman Brothers failed, um, the jig was up and Bernie Madoff confessed that his whole life has been a lie. You know, he'd been ripping people off since, God, since the 60s pretty much. And, you know, it's amazing, you know, he got arrested and charged with securities fraud. And, you know, I remember hearing about that. I was working at Bank of America and then during a lunch break, about a year later, 2009, he pled guilty to the, you know, to all the felonies that were, you know, lo you know lodged against him. And he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. But no amount of prison can make up for what um, was missing from his clients. Um, some estimates have it at about $65 billion. And... You know, some places will have it at 18 billion. But think about 18 billion. You know, that's thousands of times more than the average person will ever make in a lifetime. So he did this on a grand scheme. And it's amazing. I mean, the amount of money that he had could have bought five or six NFL teams. It's just a ridiculous amount. He was forced to forfeit all of his assets whenever he pled guilty. And, you know, people got some restitution, but they didn't get nearly enough. There's still money missing. There's people who are, you know, combing the books to see if they could find any more missing money that he made off with, no pun intended. Um, it's really amazing, though. You know, he lived 82 years, and the majority of his life was meant to scam other people. You know, according to his um, criminal penalty, he forfeited $17.1 billion dollars. Which, if he was an NBA basketball owner, he'd be the second richest guy, I believe, in the NBA in terms of owning a team. Um, Ponzi schemes are, are horrible because you got to get people to believe in you. And that's the whole thing with banking. You know, banking is all about sales. It's all about, do I trust this guy in front of me? Do I believe in this company? Do I believe in him? Well, he did that. And he got people to buy into his stuff. And then, of course, those people brought in other people, referrals, they call them in that world. And those referrals brought in their money and said, hey, if, you know, Joe says that this guy is good, let's bring our money here. And then eventually he needs to show his original investors that he's a wizard. And, of course, the money that, you know, those referrals brought in, he used to pay, you know, dividends or interest income to the other people. So it goes on and on and on until it gets so massive. And I guess this pretty much tells you what a genius he is. And I say genius in the loosest of terms. He's a fucking criminal and a fraud. And, you know, death, um, the death of him today is not going to make up for the billions of dollars that were lost by a lot of people. But the genius part of it is he's able to, you know, basically 
know the intricate financial lives and details of thousands of people, thousands of companies, and know what he needs to do to continue on this sham going on to decades. You know, all the while, basically, you know, leading a lifestyle of of luxury, buying nice houses, having nice cars, you know, and everything about that, everything about having that, you know, that lavish lifestyle, it's toxic to a lot of people. I just don't, I just don't know other way to put it, you know what I mean? You know, to some people, they just really like having a lot of money and this is kind of why i didn't like working at a bank for a long time because that's all people love to fucking talk about whenever they're making money when they get bonuses or whatever um you know they like to talk about oh yeah we went to mexico and we partied and went to vegas a weekend with the boys and we did this and that and the other thing i mean it's it's fucking ridiculous and people live that and they don't realize they really don't realize that it's just cyclical and it's going to be the stress of getting there again and then when you don't get there again that's when they start their hair starts going gray they start getting fatter they start being angrier and some people take their own life some people just can't handle um failing you know i'm just looking at something from cleveland.com about madoff and it says uh, the credit bill is a 30-page study in conspicuous consumption of bernie madoff and it says a quick scan of his credit card bill shows a restaurant charge of more than twenty eight hundred dollars 2000 in spending at a Parisian boutique and $441 at a gourmet bagel shop. Jesus Christ. $8,400 for one night at a hotel in Santa Monica and another 5000 at the Montauk Yacht Club. Total amount due more than $100,000. This was a January 2008 credit card statement for Bertie Madoff pre-financial collapse and pre-arrest. Give me a goddamn break. $8,400 for a night at a hotel in Santa Monica. Say you stay at the Holiday Inn Express for $199, and you say, hey, give me the best room. Oh, it's an extra $5, sir. Yeah, fuck it, $5 more, let's do it. That's $8,000 less than what he paid for one night at a hotel. I never understood why people do that, and I go to Vegas all the time. I don't understand why people drop ten grand for a hotel room in Vegas when you're out all the goddamn time. You're literally going back to the room to shit, shower, shave, and sleep, and that's pretty much it. And he's spending $8,400 for one night at a hotel. Why? why? Why does luxury need that? But of course, he needed that because he made millions, if not billions of dollars off the backs of other people. And then, of course, just, you know, just kind of briefly looking at Wikipedia, you know, and yeah, Wikipedia isn't always 100% accurate, but it's pretty accurate, okay? You know, basically, he targeted, you know, wealthy American Jewish communities, Hadassah, Women's Zionist Organization of America, um, and Steven Spielberg's foundation, among other things, you know, and other companies, all the way down to little old ladies who lived on a fixed income because of a lump sum that they had invested with Madoff. He built all of them. And um, it says that Madoff admitted during his March 2009 guilty plea that the essence of a scheme was to deposit client money into a Chase account. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure J.P. Morgan Chase loved having him as a customer. I'm sure they kissed his ass every single time that he walked into a bank or to an office because they knew that he was the man. And they probably knew that he was up to no good, but they probably said, you know what, he might get mad and leave us, so let's just leave it be. Deposit money in a Chase account rather invest it and then generate steady returns as clients had believed. When clients um, wanted their money, I used the money in the Chase bank account that belonged to them or to other clients to pay the requested funds. And most people don't take money out. Some people will and then they'll ask why. Hey, why are you taking money out? I mean, that's just what the bankers do and he did that as well. But he made it easy for people to cash out if they wanted to. But at the end of the day, you knew that some people were going to get screwed. 
so think about it. He had this just amazing just knowledge of everyone and he kind of, you know, understood how people were going to do certain things, how how certain people were going to say, hey, I kind of want that money now, or some people were hesitant to go heavy on investing. I mean, I'm sure some people make money. You don't create a fraud without basically showing, you know, testimonials, I guess, is what it is. And, and that's just the way that it is. And, you know... Testimonials are everything in life. Testimonials for banks are important when you're getting married. You know, having testimonials of friends. Oh, James is a good guy. Those things are important to some people, and they were important to, you know, to the people who Bernie Madoff, um, you know, ripped off because they're like, hey, this guy trusts Madoff, so I'm going to trust him too. And he ended up screwing them over. One of the most notable things about Bernie Madoff is. Um, he ripped off a guy by the name of Wilpon, Fred Wilpon, I believe his name is, who was the owner of the New York Mets baseball team. New York Mets baseball team won a World Series in 1969, 1986 uh, among them, and then went to the World Series in 2014. Um, they made that off the backs of their, you know, investing in their young players and stuff because um, Wilpon was part of the Ponzi scheme that Madoff ran, and he lost hundreds of millions of dollars. He eventually had to finally sell... His controlling interest in the team, uh, another hedge fund guy bought it this year, and the Mets are spending money like no one's business, $300 million for a shortstop. But a baseball team was severely impacted because the finances of its owner were caught up in Madoff, and he lost hundreds of millions of dollars that he's probably never going to get back. So Madoff knew how to rip people off from small to large. I know that actor Kevin Bacon was another person he ripped off. You, you see all these things... And you wonder what goes through their head. You know, am I am I um, a, a prince? No, I'm not. I'm not a saint. You know, have I stolen things in my life? Absolutely. Yeah, I've stolen nail clippers from Walmart. You know, I put the wrong sticker on the fucking apples at the grocery store. And instead of Fuji apples, I get the cheap ones. And I pay the cheap ones price. I mean, we all do these things. It's just part of life. It's just part of what we do. You know, expense reports whenever you worked at the bank. I did that shit too. Um, whenever I got transferred over to my first branch to sub as a bank teller in 2008, they put me up in a hotel. They put me up at a nice day even though I live there. And I was able to stay at my grandma's. I said, no, go ahead and you know get the hotel. So I got the nicest room. I um, made sure that I could order pay-per-view movies on the TV and not and not have them scrutinize it. Um, they gave me a $60 a day food stipend. And because I lived in Socorro, New Mexico, where I was at, I went to my grandma's house and ate. And then I bought $300 of groceries. And then I said, oh, why did you do all that? Oh, yeah, I got a room with a, with a kitchenette. Oh, okay. $300 of groceries. I mean, we've done it. We've all scammed someone somewhere. But to scam hundreds of billions of dollars? Give me a fucking break. It's crazy. It's insane. I'm just kind of scrolling through stuff. I'll link to this in the show notes. Um, there's a slideshow on ABC.com that talks about some of Bernie Madoff's um, creature comforts that he had. And one of the things he had was um, 400 pieces of jewelry and antiques. Because um, they were sold at an auction about 10 years ago. And they also included size eight and a half velveteen slippers monogrammed with the initials BLM. How, how ironic it, is it with BLM um, during these times that we are in? Um, they look like normal fucking slippers, but apparently they're expensive. Um, 18 pairs of tassel loafers in every shade and style of leather. A U-Wood 9-drawer desk 
that believe that authorities believe Madoff used to run his multi-billion dollar scam. It looks like something my grandma has, okay? And that's not saying much. I love my grandma, though. A Steinway Grand Piano that was um, in his penthouse. He probably never played it. A 10.54 carat diamond ring. A brass bull sculpture. I'm sure someone from fucking Merrill Lynch will love that. Um, jewelry included dangle earrings from the pre-Victorian era. Estimate between fourteen dollars and $21,000. His class ring from Hofstra University in 1960, estimate $300, not a lot of money. An $87,000 Mono Blanco Rolex watch, he had a dozen of them. A Bill Blast mean coat for his wife, $680. Um, three yachts, he had three fucking yachts, why do you need three? A 38-footer, um, this one looks amazing, the wood is just, I can't even explain it. I'll link to all this shit in the show notes. A Mercedes-Benz um, convertible, among other things. It's just astounding. And to see what he did and, you know, and why he did it was amazing. Now I understand it, okay? So he got arrested in 2008. He was, what, 60-something years old at that point in time. You're paying for these $8,400 a night rooms and these nice cars and these yachts and stuff. It's about women, too. You know, I don't really know his whole lifestyle with women but i'm sure women were involved and of course he was a married man but you you do that to impress girls and you do that to impress other guys and um you see basically what's going on and the hadassah cfo mistress that he had um she you know she's a younger person and it's basically one of those things where you do that to impress people that you want to impress. When you're married, I know that sounds stupid, but when you're married, yeah, you want to impress your spouse. But at the same time, you're not buying fucking million-dollar yachts all the time or whatever. And, you know, just seeing about, you know, all these people that he, he had a 21-year relationship. And then it says um, she had a sexual affair with Madoff for a year and a half. I mean, it all comes down to that. That's the reason why guys do stupid shit. I was, I mean, I am a guy still. But as a single guy, you you it's always towards that goal. It's always towards, I want girls to like me. I want girls to appreciate me. And basically, that's what it probably started with in his 20s all the way to the time he got arrested. You know, and I followed this intently because basically, of course, I love banking. I love everything about it. And... Seeing what Wells Fargo did with the unauthorized account scandal, seeing what we did at Bank of America just with, you know, upselling accounts and just trying to push accounts, you know, down the throats of people who didn't need them so they get charged a monthly fee. That way we could hit our quarterly bonus. It's all towards that goal. It's all towards hit a bonus. That way, hey, I got a bonus. I can go to Vegas now and I can go stay at the Wynn. I mean, that's what I was doing, too. It all has parallels. He stole $60 billion. I didn't steal anything at Bank of America, but I opened accounts for people who probably didn't need them. And that's my lot in life. I don't feel like I should be arrested. I do feel a lot of the Wells Fargo people should be arrested, mind you. But the fucking fact of the matter is this, okay? The fact of the matter is this, that it's all the same. Whether you steal um, $100 million from a foundation that's meant to help other people... Are you still from someone who gets a $720 Social Security check, which I used to see people do that all the time in the first and third of the month, um, and you charge them a fee, for instance, a $5 fee at Bank of America. To me, it's just as equal, whether it's hundreds of millions of dollars or $5. You're impacting someone's life by your greed. 
You're impacting someone's life by your deceit. You're impacting someone's life because you want to gain. You want the women. You want the the mistresses and the yachts and the TVs and the trips to Vegas and the expensive hotel rooms. We all do this stuff, okay? And we're all guilty of it. Do I want the Notorious Banker to be a million-dollar project? Absolutely. Will I spend it on bullshit if I make a million dollars? Yeah, occasionally, not all the time, though. You know, I literally spent eight cents at the grocery store, and if I spent a dollar and eight cents at the grocery store when I make a million dollars, then that's my version of, hey, I'm living high off the hog. That's just who I am. That's just the way that I am, and I've learned from the people who have been burned. And, you know, you can feel the burn, as they say about Bernie Sanders, um, the burn of deceit with Bernie Madoff. And it's unfortunate, it's stressful, and the world is a better place now that he's gone, unfortunately. It's, you know, I was raised Catholic, I am not a Catholic, I'm not religious by any sort, and, you know, great people get to heaven, good people, you know, get to heaven or purgatory or whatever, and bad people go to hell. Um, the amount of people that he indirectly impacted or directly impacted by his Ponzi scheme and his fraud has got to be in the millions of people. Millions of people have um, a right turn in life because of Bernie Madoff. And I can talk all the nerdy shit about the stock exchange and dividends and all that stuff. Fact of the matter is, guy with a big personality, you know, gets a group of people to believe in him. He pays them, you know, dividends. And then those people bring other people in. He uses those people to pay his original people dividends. But eventually he gets so big and so grand that... If the stock market hadn't crashed in 2008, we might still have Bernie Madoff um, doing this type of thing. So in a weird way, the stock market crash in 2008 probably put a stop to something that would still be going right now. So I'm glad that it stopped when it did, even though times were tight in 2008. But millions of people were impacted directly and indirectly by this man. And the way that banks do things now, I don't want them to... I don't want them to do that, okay? And the fake account scandal was a very low, low level um, incident, in my opinion, even though it was millions of accounts. It's not going to equal the billions of dollars that Madoff did. Because the thing with Wells Fargo and the thing with consumer banks like that is this. They want to pretend that they're bigger than they are. That's why that's why they push their investment products. They want to say, hey, you can make the most money. You can bring all of your money here and you can trust us, whatever. They just want the fucking prestige of that. Madoff made his name by working his ass off and, and, you know, legitimately making connections. And then he illegitimately screwed a lot of people out of money. And it's frustrating and it's horrible. And I'm glad that he's gone. You know, he tried to get out of prison a year ago saying that the virus was scary and he was um, in failing health. Boo fucking who? You know, I am not one of those lock everyone up and throw away the key type of people. I mean, I do believe people should do time for certain things. But holy shit, if he's able to get off by indirectly impacting millions of people because, oh, he's sick and he's afraid of the virus, then why can't anyone else, you know, get released early? There's a huge place in hell for you, Bernie Madoff, and it's it's full of lavish wood. It's full of, um, you know, ornate sculptures and a lot of diamond jewelry. But hopefully, if there is a hell and there is a devil, that the pitchforks are poking you at this very moment. Burning hell, Bernie Madoff, you really impacted a lot of people, and there's basically no more time for you on this earth. So goodbye and good riddance. After this brief promotional consideration, I'll be back with more, so please stick around.
All right, and we're back with more Notorious Banker. So I have a minor success. I finally got through to unemployment. I have literally been calling since April of 2020, a month after um, the Emergency Act, which allowed the $600 a week extra bonus for unemployment during the pandemic that President Trump signed into effect. Um, I've never contacted them once, although I did get that unemployment during the spring of 2020, and I was really excited about it. I was thankful because it allowed this to be afloat for another year while trying to work hard for a full-time gig. I mean, that's the whole goal, right? Um, that eventually dried out in July, of course, and then no one had anything until we got our STEMI at the end of the year, beginning of 2021. Then we got our third STEMI last month. But, of course, the unemployment benefits were approved by President Trump December 2020, were into effect at that point in time, and then they got extended last month with President Biden well into September. Um, I had um, what's called an, an expired inactive account, and I've taken screenshots of it just for my own personal amusement and for a future writing venture that I want to do because I want to talk about it in depth in a major newspaper somewhere. Well, holy crap. It said expired inactive, yet I had a $17,000 balance and I haven't been able to access it. All the meantime, my money was running out. I'm, I'm almost towards zero here, and I'm just wanting this money that is afforded to me, that was able to be given to me. And frankly, what can I say? I haven't been able to get it, and it's been stressful as shit. April 2020. I have called, I swear to you, I have called over 1,000 times to New Mexico Unemployment's um, toll-free number, and I had never gotten through in 1,000 times. I thought it was hopeless. It, you know, you call 10 minutes before, and the lines are already busy. You call 20 minutes before they close, and you're not allowed to hold. Um, and if you call in the middle of the day, good luck trying to get there, because there's always someone that's talking on the phone to someone else. You cannot get through, and it was frustrating as shit, and I was, like, depressed about it. Had an incident with my car on Sunday where my car wasn't working at Home Depot and we had to leave it there for pretty much the whole day, not knowing if I was going to have to pay for a tow. And because of the electrical nature of the issue, I thought it was going to be a several hundred dollar thing, if not like a thousand dollar thing. Well, by stupid luck, the car started working again and I was absolved of this financial stress of a car payment. And I used to say, you know, half the people in this country can't afford a $500 emergency. Well, I sure shit couldn't afford it either. So, of course, I wanted to try unemployment again. But, of course, there was no connecting to a live associate. It hangs up on you. It doesn't even allow you to wait whenever all the lines are currently busy. It's depressing and disheartening. And I wanted to talk to the head of the unemployment division, who is someone who's local to my hometown, and just say, hey, this is what's going on, and I can't get through, and I'm not saying that I'm important, even though I'm, quote, the notorious banker, but I deal with unemployment in so many other states. California, New Jersey, Arizona, Nevada um, are some of the states. Florida I was dealing with for a little bit for people with my notorious banker project. And all the same issues, you can't get through to someone. And then Bank of America, who runs Nevada, California, Maryland, and Arizona, Bank of America is claiming, like, hey, we need to verify your identity. You need to go to a branch with two valid forms of ID, and you got to prove who you are. And it's like, bitch, I haven't, I've, 
prove myself before? Why do I got to prove myself again? All these stalwart tactics that are used for home loans, for PPP loans too, and just for whenever a bank doesn't want to help you. I worked at a bank, so I know exactly what it's like. So to be on the other side of things, to be a client and to feel that experience is a horrible fucking experience. And I don't wish that upon even my worst enemy. And I have some pretty bad enemies out there that are unemployed. And you know what? I don't want them to go through that because it's horrible. I literally called a thousand times. I've changed phone providers in that time, and I've checked both my phone records. I have literally reached out to that phone number over a thousand times. Would never, uh, uh, yes, you know, please hold for the next operator. I did it one time, and that's when I called the Spanish version of that line, and I got through like in record time. But the ethics in me, deep down inside, the the belief in myself that I want to do what's right by the world. I hung up. I was like, I don't want to call the Spanish line and go, oh, hey, you must have got the wrong language there. Can you help me in English? No, fuck that. That's that's wrong. That's inappropriate to do that. So I that's the only time I ever got through, and I didn't complete it because, goddammit, I have ethics. What can I say? I was stressed with the card thing and with the money thing. It's really scary and really frustrating, and I want to make sure that... I'm able to pay the bills, you know. Yeah, fuck DirecTV and all the creature comforts of life. I want to pay the mortgage and the electric bill. I want to be able to be a functioning member of society. And these things are afforded to us um, as part of this pandemic. And if you qualify, you should get them. But you should get them right away. I've had to worry about this for far too long. And I'm just scared, you know. And I'm And I'm scared the way that the people with EDD in California and DETR in um, Nevada are the uncertainty about, hey, am I ever going to get money? And it's so depressing, you know. So I pretty much had given up and I've been sick with allergies and I was fine this weekend. And then with the car messing up and just dealing with oil and car smells and the heat and stuff, I got sick again and it's not been fun. I've been wanting to do a podcast for a couple of days, but I just haven't been filling up to it. So I get to the point where I'm just saying, I'm going to try a couple more times as I sit here and watch CNN. And I didn't get through. I tried four times. Little did I know that my wife in her office while she's working is trying the same number. And by miracle, she gets through. Now I'm saying miracle doing the quotation things here. She gets through. She's called maybe, I would say, less than 10 times on my behalf, if even that. I know she's tried, but I know she doesn't try as as insanely as I have, where I'd wake up and literally try 50 times in a row, and then I'd just be disenchanted after that. Theory, because EDD and DETR in Nevada and California have the same issues, because I talked to hundreds of people. I've been interviewed by magazines and websites about this. I've done a YouTube video about the problems of California EDD. I really believe that there's some method or metric um, where they know which phone number you're calling from and that phone number basically dictates whether or not you get helped. Meaning that if someone that they don't necessarily want to help or someone that they want to deny or whatever, I really feel, I know this is conspiracy theory James talking here, but what are the chances that I do it a thousand times and never get through and my wife does it less than ten times and she gets through for me? There's, there's no reason. She's never been unemployed. She's had a gainful employment since the pandemic. Really confusing and really just, like, when she said, hey, I'm getting through. Please hold, you know. And I'm like, really? Unbelievable. And I just sat there stewing. I'm like, this fucking thing is ridiculous. I literally have wasted days, literally full-on days of my life trying to call and never getting through. And she gets through, like, on a couple of tries on a whim. 
So I'm sitting here waiting. It's like 9.30, going into 11 o'clock in the morning. I hadn't showered or shaved yet. I'm feeling gross because I'm feeling sick. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to wait for exactly 90 minutes, and I'm just going to give up. Got to 90-minute mark. It's 11.22 a.m. I said, fuck this. I want to shower. It was the afternoon almost already, and I hadn't showered yet. I gave her the phone. Thank God she didn't hang up. I went to go get my clothes from our, our closet, which is in our master bathroom. And she says, oh, hey, I got someone on the phone. I'm like, what the fuck? What are the odds of this? I get through on the phone. I talk to the lady. Her name is Stephanie. And I got to tell you, um, I got her ID number here. Um, Won't share that. But it was a pleasant call. It also only took four minutes. I waited a year to talk four minutes of shit with Stephanie with New Mexico Unemployment. And I don't know if she works for the state. I don't know if it's a contract thing. But, man, that was such an easy conversation that I waited a year for. And I'm like, what the fuck took so long? I just want to know that way I can move on with my life. Do I get this money or not? The money that it says is mine, is it mine? And can I get it now, please? So I submitted my IDs a month ago. Someone finally looked at them. It almost expired. My temporary ID almost expired in that time. She said, it's good to go. I need to send it over to someone to get it approved. And then once she got it approved, then, you know, I can move on with my life and get shit done. So we get to that point and we get shit done. And... All of a sudden, I checked this morning and there was nothing there. And then I check again later this afternoon. And booyah, my application is there. But I have to reapply. Like, I literally applied before. So now we're talking California stuff here where I'm having to do a third application for something that has not changed. You know, if something had changed, I would say, hey, I need to reapply because something changed. But nothing has changed. So now I'm, like, scared. It's like doing a standardized test. Which boxes do I fill out? And I feel, if I fill this out, am I going to be in some dead end here? And there's no hope and there's no help. Because if I screw up, am I going to do a thousand calls again to where I get in touch with no one? Or am I going to have to make as big a stink as possible to the you know local, regional, and national media about what I feel is... And I, I don't mean any offense to this by the state of New Mexico. I really don't. And I know Wells Fargo itself isn't necessarily running the show. They're just the ones that do the direct deposits and debit cards and stuff like that. But it's the Wells Fargo-fication of the state of New Mexico unemployment. The whole, hey, we'll be right with you. Your call is very important. And you never get a hold of someone. And then whenever you finally do, it takes two minutes. And then you got to wait for some other asshole to approve or decline you. And then even then, it's not a certainty. That's the whole home loan process of big banks. That's the whole car loan process of big banks. This is what I used to do for a living. I know bad customer service uh, when I see it because I work for a bank that prided itself in its customer service even though it was shit. And um, I got to tell you, I'm scared and I'm frustrated. And uh, I'm going to do this application after this podcast. And I'm going to hope to God that it works because the back pay notwithstanding... You know, the money that's available to me is um, immense and it'll get me through any hurdle that I need to get through the next several months. Of course, I want to make it a point to where I don't need unemployment. Of course, that's the American dream to have gainful employment and to be able to pay the bills effectively. But you know what? I want that back pay because I was unemployed during these weeks of December to April and I deserve that just like any American does. And it's really scary and it's really frustrating. And I got to tell you, like, I don't try to be super personal anymore with this podcast, but this is my life, you know. 
if I if I get that seventeen thousand dollars of back pay that it allegedly says on my unemployment, I can go well into my fortieth birthday as the notorious banker, paying the bills, being on a budget, doing everything that I would taught people to do at a bank, and and budget effectively and find a way to to make an impact in this crazy world of ours. If I don't, what good is it to have yours truly work at Verizon? selling cell phones or working at chick-fil-a or something no offense to the people at chick-fil-a because they actually have really good customer service but you know i'm not beneath having to clean up toilets because my family has a long line of custodians there but that's not the point the point is what's going to make a mark on society is cleaning the toilets going to change the world or is being able to help people with financial issues um able to change the world i think the latter and I think that any possibility that I have to extend this goal that I have and getting back into the banking industry, dealing with big banks, improving their customer service, both through my vigilante customer service. And of course, I'm available for hire. If you want to do training, if you want to do ethical sales training, I'm here for that as well because I'm good at that. Um, I want to do that. I can't wait to see people. I can't wait to work face to face with people again. And that's what I want to do. You know, I have a particular set of skills, as an action hero once said, uh, but my particular set of skills are here to to make better the experience of banking, whether it's for the customer or, you know what, on the other side, the banking side of things. I can ethically help people kick ass. I just need this approval, man, and I know that submitting this application is going to be a scary one, and I hope and I pray that it goes through right. So all i got to tell you is keep me in your thoughts. Um, send all your good vibes my way. A contribution to the Notorious Banker Project, patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, would be amazing right now, $5, $10. It's not um, paying for a job, but it's allowing me to continue to subsidize this, you know, internet bill and this phone bill a little bit longer while I figure out the grander scheme of things. And, of course, any sponsors that want to sponsor this podcast, 575-322-4127 or james at thenotoriousbanker.com. We're going to get this done, and I've been afforded a lot of breaks. 2020 was a successful year, although it was the worst year of, of a lot of people's lives, and I'm well aware of that, and I'm thankful to even have a second opportunity. So keep your fingers crossed for me. State in New Mexico unemployment. I now challenge you to a duel, and hopefully I win. After I come back with this brief promotional consideration, I'll be back with some um, interesting news about charity that Bank of America is doing and the hyperbole that they do on social media. So please stick around. All right, we're back with more Notorious Banker. So finally today, I just wanted to talk about Bank of America's giving. Of course, we've talked about the billion dollar, now $1.25 billion commitment to end racial inequality and economic development or whatever they call it. Um, after the George Floyd thing, of course, unfortunately, we're coming upon the one year anniversary of that. And then after that horrible mass shooting in Atlanta, which killed many Asian people, they added an additional $250 million to the kitty, making $1.25 billion. And I've said it before, I'm glad that Bank of America donates. I'm really glad that they um, give anything back. You know, I always say giving, you know, two cents to the March of Dimes to get one of those mints is better than nothing because people steal those March of Dimes mints from restaurants. I don't know if that's a thing anymore with the pandemic and shit. But basically, um, my family's restaurant, we used to have the March of Dimes thing. And people used to just fucking take the mints. Like, they were, like, beholden to them without giving. So, my aunt, my great aunt, would always put money into the March of Dimes thing. Because, like, shit, we have to 
cover um, these mints that we got from March of Dimes. It happens, you know. So giving money to be ethical, to be prudent, to do that is important to me. Bank of America always, you know, prides itself on giving back to the community. I've told you my story about having to present a check to a women's shelter for $2,500 where we didn't even know that this women's shelter existed. We had no conversation about it. We had no input in it. We got a FedEx envelope with a letter that had a check and said, go to this place at 2 p.m. on Monday and take a man with you. And I was the man that went. That way I could present a check to this women's shelter for $2,500, a person I've never met before or since, and a person my manager had never met before or since. So we know how it works. We know how charity operates. I ran a Relay for Life for the American Cancer Society um, at one point in time in 2008, and just the politics of it is just crazy. And giving back is a, a business. Giving back is an art form, and it's all a publicity stunt. Now, don't get me wrong. I've donated food to you know hungry college students with a notorious banker here, and I plan on actually donating to a food bank here in the not-too-distant future because I have become the most extreme of couponers, the likes of which you have never seen. I can't even get into detail the level of couponing that I've been in, but I have a full refrigerator and pantry full of bullshit that I'm not going to eat, so I'm giving back to the community, but I'm doing that out of my own pocket. I'm going to take pictures of it. I'm going to say the notorious banker did this, and I understand that, but I literally just did that out of the kindness of my heart. It's not a business strategy. I don't expect fucking Coca-Cola to come in the next day and go, oh, look, that James, the notorious banker, something else. Hey, can you plug, you know, Mr. Pibb on your commercials, you know? Yeah, of course. I love Mr. Pibb. Mr. Pibb is my favorite drink of all time. Um, but I don't expect that to happen. I expect hard work to pay off, and then the right people will come, and then when I have money, I'll be able to do things on a grander scale because giving back is only going to come back to you tenfold if you're doing the right thing. The two examples I'm going to give you uh, today from Bank of America in the last month, I really do believe in my heart of hearts that the intent was 100% genuine and they were, quote, doing the right thing. But the level of hyperbole that fucking Bank of America has done on these charitable donations to me is not worth, um, is not even worth my time talking about, to be frank with you. Um, you know, I used to hate when people used to tell me to be humble. I used to hate that phrase. I, I still do in some aspects. But Jesus Christ, you, you figured giving $1,000 um, to the Girl Scouts is not the biggest thing in the world. I mean, it's a multi-million dollar company. You figured, though, that um, Bank of America donated money to cure cancer with the Girl Scouts or something. How ridiculous it is. I'm going to read this story from KGET.com. It's an NBC affiliate. Um, in Bakersfield, California. And then this is the headline of the story here. Bank of America surprises local Girl Scouts troop with a $1,000 donation. A local Bakersfield Girl Scout troop was in, a big, in for a big surprise when they joined their weekly troop meeting via Zoom to find out that Bank of America was going to buy out their entire supply of Girl Scout cookies! Exclamation point. There shouldn't be exclamation points in a news story, but that's neither here nor there right now. Girl Scout troops in both Bakersfield and Fresno were part of the surprise. Bank of America is participating for the second year as one of the Bakersfield area businesses taking part in the cookie buyout program for the Girl Scouts of Central Valley South, which encourages more local businesses to support the Scouts. In a year where Girl Scouts face challenges brought on by stay-at-home orders, I'm just waiting for it to say during these unprecedented times, including virtual cookie sales <laughs> mixed with traditional sales boots. I'm sorry, I'm making myself laugh here. The program is a huge support for their effort. 
Bank of America's participation of the cookie buyout is yet another. Uh, this paragraph fucking pisses me off. This is a news story from an NBC News affiliate. These last two paragraphs are just filled with stuff that pisses me off. I sound like George Carlin here. So I'm going to read these two paragraphs and then I'm going to stop myself and then I'm going to go on a crazy fucking rant here. Bank of America's participation of the cookie buyout is yet another way the bank invests in career development opportunities for youth and teens. They learn sales, marketing, finance, budgeting, planning, and always great customer service. And then second paragraph. It's only one sentence, but whatever. As an added bonus, some of the cookies purchased will be donated to the Bakersfield Homeless Center. Oh, that's nice. <sighs> Man, that paragraph I said before, does that not sound like a fucking commercial for Bank of America masquerading as a news story? Jesus Christ. Development opportunities for youth and teens. They learn sales, marketing, finance, budgeting, planning, and always great customer service. Now, the only Girl Scout that I've had in my family in the last 30 years, I think was my cousin Erica. She's a year younger than me, so it's 30 years ago probably. Um... I don't know. I I know this wasn't kind of the thing to do back in the day. Girl Scout cookies were probably half the price. I believe they're um, $5 a box now, maybe $6, depending on what you get, I guess. But um, Bank of America buying out your entire supply of cookies. And I don't know if this is from the Girl Scouts website where they stole all this shit from. But how is how exactly is that teaching the girls about sales, marketing, finance, budgeting, planning? And great customer service. To me, it sounds like you're just teaching girls to wait for some big company to just buy everything. That way you don't have to do anything. And that way the bank can take all the fucking credit for, for you know, buying every cookie in the, in, the, in the lot. To me, that's weird. And maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm insane. And maybe people who listen to this may say, hey, fuck this guy. He's talking about Girl Scout cookies and Bank of America. What's he talking about? No, if you listen to what I'm saying, you'll understand. You're not teaching kids anything about sales and marketing when you basically say, hey, we're going to buy you out. And and finance and budgeting, I mean, the girls don't manage the money. The Girl Scout moms do or whoever. I, I know that there was this Girl Scout troop over here in New Mexico that I dealt with all the time. They were great people, but the bank fucking hated them. It was like Girl Scouts of the Desert Southwest or something like that. And just because they wanted to open up like 30 accounts and all these accounts had like $5 in them. And we used to get these night deposits of like $10 and $12. And it used to just take so much time of our mornings to do those things. And the bank's like, um, yeah, can you not do that anymore? And we just basically alienated the shit out of them. That's sales. That's knowing about having a goal. $12 here, $15 there. Any restaurant owner would say, hey, we pulled a grand today and we did 500 yesterday. What happened? What's going on? Was it busy or what? Like that's budgeting, planning, marketing. Hey, we need to go on Facebook and talk about our specials. The Girl Scout cookies we know that are there. And we know that there's going to be Girl Scouts at the corner of every store or whatever selling them. So we know that they're there. Sales, it's a big part of it. Of course, they have a goal. You know, they're going to give you a bunch of cookies to sell. And they hope that you sell them all. That way they can give you more cookies. It's just like anything else in life. But for Bank of America's participation and the way that the news kind of portrayed it, to say that Bank of America giving all this money to them is teaching them about sales, marketing, finance, budgeting, and great customer service, no. Because Bank of America interrupted on these girls' Zoom meeting to say, hey, we're going to buy all of your cookies out. And the girls are like, 
cool. Like, they don't know how to fucking react. I mean, it's a high-five moment, but these little kids are just looking like, who is this weird old lady, and why is she trying to make it sound like, you know, <laughs> like a Scientology meeting where everyone's so perky and so happy? It's it's bizarre. You gotta see the video, and I'm gonna link to it in the show notes. But you're not teaching anyone anything whenever you just buy them out and i know that the buyout cookie buyout program is a thing in other parts of the country too i'm not shitting on that i'm not saying that that's a horrible thing i'm just saying bank of america does not have the right to say that they're teaching these kids about marketing and sales and great customer service when you literally horn in on their zoom meeting to say hey we're gonna buy every cookie in the in the whole town from you okay so that's part one and and the the manager of that area in Bakersfield, California. She's like the market leader. Good for her. I'm glad. I'm glad that they did that. And if she works with those Girl Scouts, even better. I'm glad that she's able to provide that, especially with her company. Because some of those Bank of America managers know how to kind of um, push for charity locally. I, I didn't have management that gave a shit about us to have part of that. But I've seen that before, so I, I got to give it up to her. But don't sell it to me as a, you're teaching these girls an important lesson. No, you're teaching these girls basically to marry a rich guy <laughs> waiting for mr right to come and just to to solve all of your problems with money and that's another thing before i get to the second part here and it says bank of america surprises local girl scouts with a thousand dollar donation it's not a donation they they bought cookies in exchange for a thousand dollars cash and and some say 200 boxes of cookies some of the posts on twitter say 300 boxes of cookies i don't fucking know who's lying or who's not Either way, it's not a donation. A donation is, hey, we're going to give you $1,000, no strings attached. Continue to sell those cookies and maybe you can make more and then buy yourself something nice. Or start a college fund. Do not say it's a donation whenever you give them money and in exchange they give you cookies. Now, last time I checked, that's fucking sales. That's capitalism. That's America. It's not a donation, okay? Secondly, <laughs> I know I'm going crazy here, and, and I, before I get to the second part, I guess, I wanted to say, the reason why I'm saying this, and I'm going to share this on the show notes too, everyone that's Bank of America market leaders all across the country are sharing that goddamn video of those girls who probably, they never got permission for to show all these little girls' faces on this video, where it says, such a cute video, watching local hashtag Fresno and hashtag Bakersfield. I like when all these old people use the hashtags and think they're so cool. Girl Scouts learned that at Bank of America is buying 300 boxes of cookies. Some of the cookie boxes will even be donated to the Bakersfield Homeless Center. And then they have the link to the KGET article. Now let me get to that fucking paragraph. As an added bonus, some of the boxes of cookies purchased will be donated to the Bakersfield Homeless Center. Are you fucking kidding me? And and you're talking to a guy who is about to donate boxes of pasta, ramen noodles. Um, I'm going to actually donate cheese, I believe. Um, yeah, I got some burritos, unhealthy shit in there, but they're frozen burritos. And I was able to get them at no cost at the grocery store with my couponing. Um... I've done cereal, I've done granola bars, uh, pasta sauce, peanut butter especially. Man, peanut butter has 100 grams of protein in each jar. That's sustenance that people need to survive. That's what a true homeless shelter has. What homeless shelter have you been to that has just fucking $6 a box Girl Scout cookies there? 
I've been to homeless shelters. I worked next to a homeless shelter. That does not happen. Does it, you know, do people donate shit like that sometimes? Yeah, of course. Because some people don't think of a $6 box of cookies as a, holy shit, you're donating that? No, they do it out of the kindness of their heart. But holy crap, guys. Seriously, holy freaking crap. The fact of the matter that them donating to the Bakersfield Homeless Center is is something else, Okay. Yeah, you can actually donate $1,000, too, to the homeless center, and they can buy real fucking food. They can buy soup, and they can buy peanut butter, and they can buy meat. You know, maybe they could have a hot dog day, or they could buy a bunch of whole chickens and have chicken drumsticks and thighs and breasts and stuff for the homeless. Actual food that they'll be able to feel good after, you know, and be able to walk the town and do all the things that homeless people have to do whenever they're trying to survive. It's bad enough that you donate Girl Scout cookies and you say that. But it says, as an added bonus, some of the boxes of cookies purchased will be donated to the Bakersfield Homeless Center. What's some? Is that 10 boxes? Is that, um, it's obviously not all of them because then they would say all the boxes purchased will be donated to the Homeless Center. Is it half of them? That they literally call every Bank of America and say, hey, do any of you, you know, employees of Bank of America want some Girl Scout cookies? There's no charge. Or does, like, the market leader go to the branch and give out five boxes of cookies and say, here you guys go, we bought some of these, we bought out, you know, cookies from a troop or whatever, so here you go. Or do the execs never tell the branches about it, and do they just hoard the cookies themselves, and then they give the remainder of the boxes to charity? That they keep some for some party that they had, because I know Bank of America loves to have parties. I'm so confused about this. So to me, whenever you say some of the boxes of cookies will be donated to the homeless center, that pretty much tells me that your intent was never to actually give them to the homeless center. It's more of a, oh man, I can't quite possibly finish all of this. Yeah, just we'll donate it or something. That's what it sounds like to me. It doesn't sound like their heart was in the right place and say, hey, you know what, we should give this to the homeless center. No, they're like, fuck that. We're going to eat our Thin Mints and Samoas and Tagalogs and the peanut butter whatevers. And we're going to have all that to ourselves. I'm like, shit, we still have 172 boxes? I guess we'll donate them. I mean, I don't I, I can't take them home. That's unethical or whatever. Um, yeah, let's just give them out. And then we could talk about that we gave boxes of cookies to the homeless center. How about volunteering at the homeless center? How about donating some of your um, clothes that you no longer wear to work? Like your dress shirts and ties and slacks. And for women, power suits or just business attire, shoes, you know, because every woman, I know, stereotype, has like 50 pairs of shoes. Which ones do, do you not wear often? Oh, you don't wear those? Okay, donate those. That's true donations, and that's true philanthropy. That's true giving back to your community. Basically, just pawning off dozens, if not hundreds, of boxes of Girl Scout cookies to a homeless center and saying that you're giving back to the community... You're giving them unhealthy fucking food, and you're getting double the hits of, hey, you did a good job. No, you didn't do a good job. You did what any company or any individual should do and help those poor little Girl Scouts out and try to sell those cookies and hit their goal. You didn't donate money to them. Let's get that clear. You did not donate money to them. You bought something, and they gave you the boxes. And then you gave those boxes to the homeless. But also, you also said some of the boxes were donated, not all of them. So that tells me that there was a decision that was made after you got some cookies for yourself. That's not charity. That's saying, you know what, I'm done with these, let someone else have them. That's not charity. You know, we're going to eat um, pizza today, my wife and I. And, you know, we, we make our own pizza and we're going to cut it up into like 20 individual squares and I'll eat like 12 and she'll eat 8. So if she gets like 6 slices in, she's like, I can't eat the rest. 
You want these? Yeah. That's not charity. That's like she couldn't eat the rest. So she was either going to fucking throw it away or she was going to give it to me. That's not charity. That's not a donation. Because her intent was eating that and she didn't decide not to eat it. Whatever. Give me a break. I'm going to link to those things in the show notes. You can draw your own conclusions to this. And yeah, if you hate me for just totally shitting on this Bank of America story, well then guilty as charged. Sue me, okay? Congratulations to the Bakersfield Girl Scouts troop. Um, Girl Scouts of Central Valley South. Um, for that because frankly they sold out all their cookies and they probably got an award or a certificate or something from their Girl Scout troop but at the same time as well I am saying kudos to them because they don't realize how many dozens of Bank of America bankers are exploiting those little kids faces on these Twitter posts and I'll link to it in the show notes I don't want to but I want you to see how Bank of America basically just just pushes these people out there and say look we help these people we help these people it's fucking ridiculous. It's 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 gross is what it is. I don't have very much time because I want to keep this short and sweet, but one final thing was there was community volunteers for Bank of America in Vazalia, California. I'm not familiar with that area of the country. I know that they had a minor league baseball team for a while there. Um, they donated 800 items to like a battered women's shelter, domestic violence shelter. I know battered women's is the wrong way to say it. And it's this picture of this um, young lady, and she has what looks like a travel, like a toiletry bag, a care package, and there's um, a shit ton of like maxi pads and suave female deodorant and um, Playtex tampons, and it looks like Neutrogena, some sort of soap looking thing, and all these other things on the bottom that I can't make out. It looks like some sort of jewelry plastic box toothpaste, like the little travel toothpaste and stuff like that. Um, they donated 800 items, but from what Twitter says and what Bank of America said on Twitter whenever I first saw this post um, over a month ago, it said Bank of America employees in Vizalia, California donated that. To me, Bank of America employees means tellers, bankers, branch managers. So I'm all, hey, good for you, okay? Like, honestly, no bullshit here. That's really impressive, and seeing all these you know, feminine products on here is is going to be helpful to some people because some of those places operate on little to no um, money you know donations is what they want they'll get scraps that are thrown away from stores that are expiring and stuff because they need it so bad it's life and growing up um, with a single mom growing up with you know basically my grandma being the only one that raised it I do have a feminine side I do have that that sympathy for people who are in situations like being in a in a, an abusive household and they have to escape and they have to live in a shelter and stuff like that. You know, there's a lot of parallels in my life that I have to talk about these things where it's frustrating and it's an uncomfortable conversation for me to have. But you know what? If my mom was in that situation and some big bank somewhere gave her all the things she needed to make sure that she was cleaned up and able to go to work and try to make something of her life, then congratulations to Bank of America. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And the people who are the employees of Azalea California Bank of America, congratulations on that. That's meaningful. Giving fucking boxes of Girl Scout cookies to homeless people is not meaningful shit. Giving them real food is meaningful shit. Giving people hygiene products, which are needed, you know, because the homeless shelter that I used to work by, they used to ask for socks. They used to ask for soap. Do you have any cheap toothbrushes? They used to ask for all that stuff. And people would provide it because they weren't asking for anything fancy. They just wanted the basics, man. And, you know, as you know, for females, I know that there's a lot of extra things you got to buy. So to see that and, and know that 
know the cost of those things is not cheap. Even if you're a couponer, it's still a lot of actual manufacturer suggested retail price value. Really, really expensive shit. So I'm all for that. So when I saw that and I said 800 of these things were donated by employees, I don't know how many employees were there. I don't know the context of it. But they said that that particular town and their employees did that. Then you cut to fucking Bank of America sharing the love. And there's all of these executives all across the country. And I, I will link to it in the show notes here. But all across the country... Bank of America is sharing that same picture of Vizalia, California and the 800 feminine hygiene products that were donated by Vizalia, California employees. Unreal. It's, it, you know what, the people of Vizalia, California, including their market leaders, including their regional leaders, deserve a heaping helping of praise. But I'm going to just go to one person here that I know is not from that area. Let me Let me see here. Let me find one. Sorry here. I wasn't planning on doing this at this point in time. There's a dude by the name of John Signo. No, let me do this one instead. Tammy Matthew. She works for Bank of America in Florida, which is as far away from Visalia, California as you can possibly get. Okay? So she um, posted on this. Shout out to my Bank of America volunteers for their year-round efforts to make the world a better place. Happy Global Service Month. And it's a picture of this one girl in Vizalia, California with her hygiene products. Now did Tammy Matthew donate some of those hygiene products 2,000, 3,000 miles away? No. So basically, Bank of America turned out of the kindness of the, the hearts of these people in this region, them giving back to their community they've turned it into a selling point and look at what we can do as a company no fuck that your employees did that you didn't do anything bank of america with one you know click of a button one stroke of a pen can buy eighty thousand feminine hygiene products for you know people in multiple cities and multiple states these people paid out of pocket the low wages that bank of america gives them paid out of pocket to get 800 items and all of a sudden you want to piggyback off of their philanthropy and their goodwill fuck that i'm going to link to this in the show notes here and i want you to see all the people who are tweeting this out who had absolutely nothing to do with on um, this particular donation here like i said i am really happy and i am really glad that bank of america has volunteers or people who just donate money out of the kindness of their hearts but whenever you see someone there's a Tucson person, you know, shout out to all my fellow Bank of America volunteers for making the world a better place. And then another person for Bank of America. I love that Bank of America dedicates an entire month each year to honor me and my colleagues' commitment to volunteering in the community. We volunteered a total of 1.1 million hours in 2020. Keep up the amazing work. That has nothing to do with donating products. And plus, the fact that she says, I love that Bank of America dedicates an entire month to me and my colleagues. She's trying to piggy bank off of this um, success that Vizalia California had. Be proud of your company. Matt Linsky, this dude's from Kansas City, shares the same picture of the feminine hygiene products. Sandra Juliox from Florida shares the same thing. These people share it because it's like a cult. They want to share shit to show what an amazing company they have when you know goddamn well that they didn't do the same thing in their community. You know why they didn't do they didn't do the same thing in their community? Because they would have shared that picture locally and say, look at what we've done in our amazing city. No, fuck that. Someone else did the work and now all of a sudden the whole company is going to say, hey, look at what we can do. 
I have a friend back home. His name is also James. Whenever we would say, you would say we, he would go, what's this fucking weed? You got a mouse in your fucking pocket? Bank of America, do you have a mouse in your fucking pocket? Because literally there are hundreds of people in Bank of America that is sharing this picture and saying, look at what we can do to make the world a better place. Now, Visalia, California, Bank of America donated 800 feminine hygiene products to a women's shelter. I can't even find the original tweet. That's how many freaking people have tweeted it. They donated it out of the kindness of their hearts to a, a cause that is not talked about very often that is needed, especially when people are leaving an abusive relationship. They did it, and all of a sudden, a company that's worth roughly $260 billion and is going to be worth another $10 billion more-ish um, as of tomorrow, basically saying, look how awesome we are because our employees, who we pay shit wages, spend money out of their pocket to help some people out. No, they did that because they're awesome, and you're sharing it because you're guilty that you don't do that nearly as often, Bank of America. It's ridiculous. And all I got to say, to throw back to my former podcast title, that's another reason why your bank sucks. I didn't think that this segment would go that long, 26 minutes, so I thank you so very much for listening to that and the entire podcast. Patreon.com slash Notorious Banker, where for as little as a $1 subscription, you could help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. And yes, I will use some of those proceeds to donate uh, to make the world a better place, whether it's donating food or doing other things. I am committed to that. If you help me out, I promise you I'll help other people out. James at TheNotoriousBanker.com or TheNotoriousBanker at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. Voicemail line is 575-322-4127. At NotoriousBanker on TikTok, follow me. It's going to be um, amazing fun going forward. Once I get through this allergy bullshit, we're recording videos uh, on a daily basis coming really, really soon. And um, it is my birthday next Wednesday. I will be turning 38 years old. Congratulations to me. So I'll try to do a podcast before then. But thank you so very much for the love and support that you've given this project um, in this time. $1.5 million um, recovered with Vigilante Customer Service since April of 2019. And we're continuing to get bigger and stronger. So thank you so very much for your love and support for yours truly. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for allowing me to talk shit about banks and understanding the reason why I do so. Until we meet again, my friends, my name is James, the Notorious Banker, signing off saying thanks again for listening, and you have a great day. Goodbye.